Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. God bless everybody. I'm your host of OPP, Corey Cambridge. And before we get started with this amazing episode, I want to tell you about my other show, Silent Giants. Silent Giants is a podcast that highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. Ever wondered who made the MTV logo? Did you know the person who wrote Earth, Wind & Fire's hit song September? Also wrote the theme song for the hit 90s TV show Friends? On Silent Giants, we learn more about these amazing people and dig deep to learn more about their most famous works. Be sure to check out Silent Giants on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Now, let me introduce you to our special guest of OPP. So this is Joe Loya. I'm producer and co-host of The Score Bank Robber Diaries, and this is OPP. God bless everybody and welcome back to another episode of OPP, America's number one podcast discovery platform that highlights your favorite podcasters and the dope shows they created. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Our special guest this episode is Joe Loya, co-host of The Score, Bank Robert Diaries. Produced by Peabody Award-winning podcaster Ben Adair with Western Sound and in partnership with ACAST Studios, Joe Loya, the so-called Beirut Bandit, reveals his story of transformation from abusive childhood to prolific bank robber to violent convict, ex-con, writer, and ultimately a reconciled son. In this interview, we get to learn more about Joe, how he transformed his life. We talk about fatherhood. I get his podcaster's picks. And of course, we talk about his dope show, The Score, Bank Robber Diaries. So, on to my exclusive interview with Joe Loya. Joe, how you doing, man? I'm good. How you doing? Man, everything is everything, brother. Out here in Brooklyn. Where you at? I'm in uh, the Bay Area, East Bay, right next to Oakland in a town called San Leandro. Dude, you guys are seeing a lot of change. That's the one pl- the only place that New Yorkers are scared of when it comes to prices is the Bay Area. Yeah, yeah as you should be. It's crazy here. <laughs> I'm yeah, from I- L.A. originally, but I moved up 22 years ago when I met my wife. And so I just, um, I love it up here. It's a whole different vibe than L.A. Because you, you said you were originally from L.A.? L.A., yeah, yeah. So tell, tell me more about yourself, and what was it like growing up for you in L.A.? Uh, it was weird because, you know, I'm Mexican-American, and, uh, but my family was Protestant. So I was raised in a neighborhood where everybody was um, Catholic for the most part. We were this rare, weird species where Billy Graham came to um, the Maravilla Projects where we lived in East L.A. Community College, and he converted a families to to protestantism to you know become baptist so i was a weirdo and i was even more weird because my mother um and dad put me in a private school so i was like this little dark kid in all white schools then they were relig- they were protestant now the interesting thing is my dad wanted to be a preacher so he started geeking out on bible languages greek hebrew he studied latin and he wanted to interpret the uh, the theology from the old 
you know, just various commentaries on religions. I was raised in a super religious home and eventually became a preacher. I eventually um, wanted to be a preacher, raised in these religious schools, these Christian schools. So um, I would come to the neighborhood and I'd have all these friends who were Catholics, um, but I was the weird little nerdy bookish um, Protestant kid. So it was a different, it was even though I was among my people, I was not of my people in many ways. I was looked at as an, kind of like a little weirdo. Though I was friendly and people liked me. I always had friends. It wasn't that kind of thing. It wasn't like I was bullied, but I just, I knew I was kind of an outsider. Um, but, you know, all my family's there. And so I was raised in a big family. And then the church itself was just like this place where I was raised in the church. So it was my community. Potlucks and, and Bible studies. And, and it, I had a really loving, strong community. And my mother got sick at seven when I was seven. And she started dying. She took about two and a half years to die. So the community even got closer. They helped us out. We're super generous. I experienced a lot of real Christian love growing up because, you know, people were there to help out, you know, take care of us, feed us help my mother, you know, when she would help us when we, she was in the hospital. So I had it good that way, except but then my dad started getting tormented with grief and, and the violence from his childhood. Now, they were 16 when they got married, so they were kids playing house. So my dad never really figured out a lot of his stuff when the stress started happening. And so, of course, he just started acting out. Yeah, so that's what, that's what, that's kind of what my childhood was like. It was really wonderful in the beginning, and then it got dark and demented afterwards with grief and violence and that sort of stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. It seems like you you had you were dodging these two worlds of your uh, your cultural, you know, uh, home, but also going to school with kids that weren't of your culture. How did that shape you? Several several ways. One, it showed me that there was a world out there that had money that nobody in East LA had. So I was exposed to, you know, middle class. You know, I was for super working class home, uh, super working class neighborhood. Uh, but the one thing, it, the other way it shaped me was I was super competitive um, intellectually. So the, the class didn't look at me and like, oh, you're the brown kid. So we're going to treat you like a stupid. The teachers were like, we don't care what color you are. You got to memorize this. You're going to do this. You're going to be fine. You're going to be like everyone else. And they expected of me to 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 step up and be a good student and i rose to the challenge i never looked i never felt patronized you know um which is weird i would get that when my mom died and i had to go to public schools they laid the framework for my my brain the, my mind forced me to memorize a lot of things which which does help the mind it just you know it just focuses the mind um also i grew up a mexican not at war with the language so I felt like, well, this is English. I'm going to master English. I sh I'm shitty in Spanish. Um, and, you know, Spain my Spanglish is strong. But like I was in real Spanish, terrible. I can understand it better than I can speak it. But, I am, but I'm strong with English. And that's because of that. And then when my mother passed away, my dad married an Irish-American woman named Brenda Joyce Seal, of all names. It was like totally Irish. And um, she... Uh, she introduced me to literature. So I started reading books in eighth grade that then I would, people would mock me for Like I was reading Jane Eyre, Wuthering Heights, Les Miserables, Robinson Crusoe, a lot of the classics when I was in eighth and ninth grade. Was your early career goal as a child to, to be a writer? Yeah, I definitely was to be a writer. And also, um, 
to not only be a writer, but I was hoping in the beginning that maybe I would go uh, be a theologian. Like my dad was a pastor and I understood you can get up in front of people and you go, ah, well, let me inspire you. Let me say words. Let me go to the Bible. But um, so I thought, okay, he did that. What's the next level? That was what was available to him, this little, this little pulpit in East L.A. And I thought, you know what? I wanted, I had um, aspirations to be a theologian so I could, I could study the Bible and come up, come to conclusions that then hundreds of preachers would use my words at the pulpit or my ideas at the pulpit. So I wanted to influence preachers. I didn't want to just be a preacher. Um, and so that meant I wanted to think. So even when I started losing my faith, I was like, well, you know what? Maybe I'll be a lawyer because it's the same kind of thing. It's a, philosophy. I would switch from philosophy and theology to the law. It's all words. It's all argument. It's all persuasion. Um, that's why it was an easy shift for me to think uh, intellectually I'd go that way. But I always loved story, and it turns out that's where, I, where I've gone. I've gone in the direction of I've written for a couple TV shows. I wrote my memoir when I got out of prison. I consulted on Ant-Man and Baby Driver. I don't know. Did you see Baby Driver by any chance, the movie? No, I did not. I'm sorry. It was a really great movie. It was a bank robbery heist movie, and the director, Edgar Wright, got in contact with me when he, um, he read an essay I wrote for McSweeney's called uh, How I Chose My Bank Robbery Getaway Song. And because Baby Driver, you should go see Baby Driver, nothing else. You should see on YouTube the first five minutes of it. Okay. Because that's a crazy, cra it's one of the best heist movies. It has Jamie Foxx in it. Spoiler alert, I get killed by Jamie Foxx when I play a <laughs> bank guard <laughs> in it. I got a role in it. Um, but anyway, the point is that I'm, I'm a writer. I am a writer. I've been a writer since I was a kid. I detoured, obviously, but I came back to it when I changed my life. What took you on the path of crime? What was that first step and how that happened? So I was born in a brutal, I was raised in a brutal home, really a lot of violence um, uh, and terrible violence. So that by 16, when my dad was beating me, I stabbed him in the neck and I tried to kill him and was put in foster care. Stabbing my dad in the neck and like bringing it in and twisting and trying to break it off in him. It released so much rage that I had as this little kid. Confusion, desperation was all in that, right? Um, grief, it's all in there. And then when that happened, I was like, whoa, the power of that, of feeling that I could um, have so much control with my violence and take down this beast who had like been, you know, I'd been afraid of my entire life. That awakened something in me, and I was like, mm, I got to explore this, because then the violence wanted to keep coming up. And I was like, oh, first I was afraid. I was like, oh, God, help me keep this inside, because this is crazy. A monster's coming out. And what it was is just basically I wanted to act out now. I wanted to, like, give – I wanted to demonstrate this power I had of being able to move into a space, assess the space, and then dominate it with my violence. And so I thought I need to go into crime. Because uh, a guy who has this kind of power, who has murderous power, even though my dad lived, it was an attempt to kill my dad. Um, somebody who has that kind of willpower um, <clears throat> should should not get $40,000 a year <laughs> in a regular job, I felt. I should be making $40,000 a week. I feel like what I did was just try to, to go out there and um, find a way to to get money by 
um, using my ability to dominate with with violence. And so eventually went into a crime thinking I'm going to steal from people, I'm going to rip them off, whatever. And I did a bunch of petty crimes to begin with, a lot of bounce checks actually, in fact, just trying to early on, trying to figure out how to get into crime. I stumbled upon bank robbing when I was a fugitive in Mexico and um, I got robbed there. <laughs> and so I was like, oh shit, I need to make money. And that's when I went out. Um, I came back to the United States and robbed my first bank. Is there like a common trait or or narrative that you've uh, that you learn from your time in prison amongst prisoners that kind of you know ignite the the urge to pursue crime? Yeah. So happy children don't grow up and become criminals because happy children are happy because they find some congruency in their relationship with society, their home. There's it makes sense. The world makes sense to them. If I do good, there's a reward. People are honest around me. People have integrity. I'm going to buy into this thing because you know what? It's consistent. It's not drama. There's no drama. Um, it pays off. People of good faith. All those things are like, oh, I like this. This feels good. There's why I'm, this is why I'm, I'm, I'm kind of content. People who are, um, who've been raised with varying degree of trauma. So like you, you're, you're, threshold for what will break you, what trauma will break you, is different than the threshold of trauma will break me. But there is a point where too much trauma uh, triggers a sort of morbidity in the soul, for want of a better phrase. Like it just, you see things and then you're troubled by them and you don't know how to process them. And immature adults around you don't know how to help you process them. In fact, the immature adults around you are oftentimes the one who are perpetrating these these things on you, around you, both creating the occasion for you to be raised in a world that's that's um, in flux and moral flux. And when parent, when you're raised in a home where the parents like don't answer or answer, tell them I'm not here. Tell them um, uh, you raised like in this, this this these homes of deception or violence, um, or just you know literal morbidity. There is some early exposure to the morbidities of life that that twist us up and no adults are there to help us. And oftentimes it's the adults who are twisting us up. So, yeah. How has it been for you now being the parent and, and raising a daughter? How has your experience helped change the way you parent? Uh, that's a good question. Well, not only did I, um, not only did I go through that, I came out and wrote a memoir about it. Right. So I had to spend a lot of years talking and thinking about processing all these stories of my life. And then I healed my relationship with my father. So my father's in my life. And um, it's one of the, you know, the, the most beautiful love story, one of the more beautiful love stories in my life. So I did a lot of work. I wasn't a father. I didn't become a father until I was 45. Because I processed it before she was born, I got to think a lot about, like, um, what kind of parent I want to be based on the, the patterns I saw of of parenting that I went through, writing them down and stuff. So the big biggest thing is I don't see my child as an extension of me, and that's a huge thing. When your child, when you're too invested in your child and take your child's, and you almost take it personally that what they do is a reflection of you, you will try to control them so that you're saying, "Look, world, look who I have, look who I am." And I remember I was like, "Nope, not gonna do that," because that's what my dad did. He was real big on how does he gonna how is he gonna look, and I don't I'm like I don't put that on my kid. She's her, 
And I got to like, I have to treat her as an individual who's going to be going through a bunch of things. And I've gone through a bunch of things and I got to prepare her for how the world's going to respond to her, how she's going to respond to the world. And I just feel like I'm more like a counselor. You know what I'm saying? It's, I don't know if you understand what it's like to be feel raised by people who you feel like if you do something, you're going to disappoint them. Mm. Um, because they're so, they make you feel like, you know, this was, you have to be a reflection of us. You said something about processing things. As I talk to you now, you have such kind of uh, clarity or you seem really in tune uh, with your past, your present, and also your future. For inmates who are coming out of jail, how can they process those feelings and become a successful member of society like yourself? I mean, frankly, the biggest thing with me was to figure out why I behaved the way I behaved, right? When I started changing my life, it wasn't enough to just say, oh, I want to not rob banks anymore. That wasn't, that wasn't going to keep me out of prison. If I use that as my thing, like, oh, just don't break any more crimes, I was going to go back. I wanted something else. And, and, and going to prison and stopping me from living out in the world for a while gave me an opportunity to figure out what that was. And what that was was peace. I wanted peace. I wanted peace with myself and I wanted peace with the world because I had never known peace. And it wasn't political. I want to go out and fight for this and fight for I don't want to fight. I want to like find peace with myself. And then that way I can figure out <laughs> how to move in the world instead of putting all this aggression in the world, try to put love into the world, especially to the people who are around me. I need to practice that. And there's too many people who come out and practice trying to do other things in the world as opposed to getting right with themselves and getting right with the people around them. I came out and I healed a relationship with my dad. I've come out, I've been in a 22 relationship year with my wife, never been that long with anybody, never been close to that long with anybody and always been a terrible person with them before. I have integrity with my wife. I came out, had a kid, she's my number one. The world has problems and I will give my time to the world and I will help the world as much as I can. But I understand my priorities are to try to, to have a peaceful relationship with myself and those around me. Like that's paramount. Our mental health is important. When guys come out of prison, unfortunately, a lot of times they, they're scared of the world. And also, or the opposite, they want to go and save the world. So I tell people, settle down, slow down. I've seen it so many times where people come out and they want to go and want to go save the community. I want to like stop everyone from being on, on drugs. Whoa, <laughs> I tell them, stop, stop, stop. Be at peace. Have compassion for yourself. Have love for yourself. Settle into yourself. Find things that are good for you or your mental health. Joe, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to get into your podcast, The Score, Bank Robber Diaries. Mm -hmm. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. All right, Joe. So we're back, my man. So how did you first discover the medium of podcasting? That's a good question. Well, I've been thinking about doing podcasting for a while. I think it was, you know, obviously Mark Maron was the first podcast I ever listened to. And then uh, that turned me on to the Joe Rogan podcast. And then, you know, years ago, I was on a show, 1999, when the very early it was a show called This American Life on the radio. I can't really say, like, how, how was I... I don't know who told me to listen to it. I just, you know, being paying attention to culture, I realized, oh, there's this phenomena 
this is the, the you know the WTF um, podcast, and we go listen to that, and that was uh, the first one I listened to. Okay, so for the audience uh, who haven't had a chance to listen to your podcast, give me the elevator pitch of the score, Bank Robber Diaries. <laughs> okay, so um, I robbed 14, uh, 14 months when I was 26 years old. I robbed 30 banks, sometimes two, three, once, four in a day. I was prolific. And then I went to prison for seven years and came out, changed my life. And this podcast covers that, but it also talks about my childhood what kind of influenced me to imagine becoming a criminal. And it takes you through the crime spree, the prison years, and then also it gets you into where I am today. Um, like, how did I get to be that guy, you know? And, and, and through that, you get the bank robber diaries. Uh, tell me the, the origins of how the podcast came together and how you uh, teamed up with ACAST for it. So years ago... Uh, Four years, five years maybe, my friend Ben Adair called me and said, hey, man, I'm starting a podcast. It's called First Time, Last Time. The first time he did something, the last time he did something. So obviously he wanted to launch it with me. First bank robbery I robbed, last bank robbery I robbed. Uh, first bank I robbed, last bank I robbed. And we did it. And he put it out and it was great. Uh, and then he came to me about, yeah, almost like last October, October 2018. And he said, hey, dude, let's let's put this Let's put a podcast together. He he's um he has a company called Western Sound. He said, "Let's make a podcast about your life." I think I think it'd be great. I said, "Great, let's go and let's let's go and see who will get it." So we pitched to everybody. Acast was the one who who bit. Um, and Acast has been fantastic to work with. I mean, they've been they're really excited. They wanted to get in this space, and 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 this is their launch. Um, you know your story, you've been through your story, but what did you learn about yourself through this process of making this podcast? I mean, there's so much. One, I mean, I, I'll just unpack something real quick. So when I started doing this, I realized, oh shit, man, I'm, I'm trying, I would come out of every long session of telling stories and I'd be traumatized. I'd be, have my PTSD would kick off and, um, and I would, I'd be in a funk for a while. It's like if you've traveled for two weeks and you come home and like for a day you're just tired as hell and you're just like, what the hell? I just need to get back. You got jet lag. You got all sorts of stuff and it doesn't feel. You don't feel right. So it feels like. So I would like give myself space. Go watch a movie. Like give myself a day knowing I'm gonna need to talk to friends. I'm gonna need to check in with people. I'm gonna need to like self care. And that was really hard because. You know, I'm a different guy now. So even though I'm the guy who jumped those counters or or, or threatened those people to take me to the vault, uh, and I tell the story, it's exciting stories, and I I want everyone to feel like, woo, this is great. This is like you know, right? I mean, you're 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 there. You're listening to it, right? I want to give you as much information to feel for what happened. But then at the end of it, I realize, oh shit, man, those people were traumatized. And it wasn't. It's not sexy. It's not beautiful. It's not fun. It is. I left pain in my wake. Not only were the tellers, all my friends at that time were scared for me. They were um, scared of me, some of them. Um, I was hurting people who loved me. And all that comes back. Like I open up that story and I'm going one way into it so that I can say, oh, yeah, here was the vault. And over here I did this. And over there I did this and this and that. And when I want to walk back out of the story, all the shame and the regrets 
and the self-loathing come back with me through the door after I've told you that story. And it's heavy, heavy. And, uh, and uh, you know, I got to, sometimes it's just me and my daughter will drive up into the wet redwoods and we'll go, I need to hang out with her. Um, I need to get right. I need to sit with things that are beautiful and beautiful about me to remind myself I'm not that complete asshole that I once was. So it's been really, it's, you know, it's been a challenge to see how it affects me that way. It affects me intellectually in a bunch of ways. Like, um, how I imagine telling my story in, in, you know, the, the, set, the, the book I'm writing now, uh, the next memoir, ex-con dad's guide to middle surviving middle school. That's my next memoir about how to be, it's a parenting book, you know, that's all part of it. Yeah. That's a good question. What, what do you want listeners to walk away with from listening to your podcast? You know, this is a good question too. So here's the thing, cause I've been an art critic too, right? I've gone to movies, read books. Um, plays. I know how to talk about art and write about art. And one thing um, I like about good art is that when I walk to a piece of art, I feel like the artist has done their thing. And instead of putting a period at the end of it and saying, this is what this means, this is who I am, this is what you're supposed to get from it. I like it when the artist does something and they're like, I don't even know where it came from in me, so I don't even know what it means. I just had to do it. And if it moves you, cool, tell me how. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know exactly where it came from in me. And so I love that way. I, I love coming to a piece and then I love people coming to it with who they are, the experience they've had, and then finding a way to feel implicated in the story as opposed to just sitting there and just receiving it. I want them to engage with it however they want. I don't even care if it means that it pisses them off. I just want everybody to have the experience with it like if I we we made the podcast and then at the end it's dot 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 you add the meaning to it when you're done with it you you put your meaning on what you think it all means and how you feel you're implicated in it for example I've already got things from people who are like wow you changed your life and we're hearing all the bad things you went through but obviously the person who's talking is not the person who did this so I'm in recovery and this is inspiring to me I did design it so that hopefully by the end of it, you will have gotten a good story of how a family falls apart and a family gets put back together. Like the love story between me and my dad. We are designing a story in there so you can get that. What it does to you is on you. I know what it does to the men in jail when we tell that story, you know. Some of them cry. Some of them, I'm going to call my dad today. I'm going to call my mom today. Like, it puts them in touch with some part of their humanity that makes them want to feel noble in relationship to the people they love. Even if the people they love are, you know, they're they're angry at them or dislocated from them for whatever reason. So, Joe, uh, we've come to a part of the show called Our Podcasters Picks. And this was, this is when I asked the guests of today's show to provide me with three podcasts that they love that we should be listening to and describe them to the audience. So... Joe Loya, take it away. Okay, so I feel really stupid about this because I'm a very rudimentary listener of things. I, I feel like most people could get on here and be really esoteric and because they know they're like really in the world listening to all these crazy podcasts or whatever. That said, I, I, I want to say I will reveal to you the things that I, the things that I love. Uh, obviously, M Mark Marin, I love the WTF podcast because um, – it is so simple in concept. 
So like, not only do I enjoy just sitting there and listening to people talk about whatever they're talking about, and oftentimes um, I could be listening and be like, mm, all right, that's just kind of, I've heard these stories, some of these, oh, uh, you know, I fucked up my life by drugs, and I, I get it, you know, it's, and, and so it's a variation of that, but believe me, I was in prison, I've, I've heard every variation of that, right, and some of them even more entertaining. So, so it's not necessarily the stories, it's the format of it, and it's the um, the honesty of it, just like the the Mark Maron is this himself, and he's so good at like just allowing people to feel comfortable in that. That's one thing I like. Almost the exact opposite, but but also entertaining is the Joe Rogan thing because you can not not only can you watch it, you can listen to it, and he's an entirely different one. Even though they're both comics, and I do also like I think I like it because these these are comics, and so. I love comics who can deal with very serious, heavy things. And I think that's what I introduced, what I liked at first with Mark. And also what I like about Joe, but Joe has a different, um, a different take on things. And a third podcast, um, probably Rachel Maddow. Because <laughs> I yeah, love she's Rachel awesome. Maddow, man. I can love Rachel Maddow. She's just, she has a, she's smart. She's funny. Obviously her political angle on things. Now, that's the thing, right? So this woman just tells story a different way than you're accustomed to getting it in the news. It's, it drives me wild that she's so redundant. She would just, <laughs> she'll keep repeating herself, and you'll hear things like that, and she'll just repeat things too much a little bit. But um, I like the presentation of her, of her mind, the way her mind moves. And there's something impish about her. You hear her chuckling all the time. She loves the irony and things, and she loves the satire of things, and she just loves the plain nonsense of things. So as she's entertaining. She's super entertaining. Her mind's entertaining, and I think she has great integrity trying to um, tell us the truth of what's going on in the world. So there's that. Joe, my last question before we get out of here is, my man, why do you podcast? You got good questions. Well, I just feel like I need to tell a story. And um, I'm excited about the various ways of podcasting now. I mean, of telling your story through audio. That there's there's this way that now you could tell fiction stories through podcasting. You know, you can you can you can have tell fiction. You can tell my kind of story. You can have two people talking about the the world. You know, in real time, what's going on. Um, there's it's like VR to me. Like we haven't even figured out yet how to all the ways in which we could tell stories are sort of feels like a new frontier. Not as much as VR feels like a new frontier or hologram stories as a new frontier. But I do feel like we're still learning because if you're in podcasting as as we are now, we know everyone's trying to figure out the formula of a successful show. It hasn't been it hasn't there's there's no great formula yet that anyone's really figured out. So that means it's still growing. We're still figuring it out. And I want to be in that space trying to figure out, is it a show like mine that's going to succeed for me? Is it going to be me talking with somebody else twice a week like this kind of thing? Or is it, I don't know. I don't know. And I want to find out, is it me putting the things that I've written that didn't make it in Hollywood yet? Maybe I get my friends, we record it and we tell these crazy criminal stories via audio, like an audio book or something, but like a TV show, but on, on the radio. Is that it? I don't know. I'm very excited about this space, the frontier of this space, to explore it and and and, and do it. So there's really, it, it appeals to the, um, 
the bold ex bank robber in me. I'm like, oh, what's over here? Let me see what I can go take here. Let me see. Let me see what down how many downloads I could take. You know <laughs> that kind of thing. So, yeah, that's what I think. And, and let the audience know how many episodes are going to be part of the series. It's 16 episodes every Tuesday. It drops. You know wherever you get your podcast. Yeah. Awesome. Joe Lawyer, thank you so much for taking the time to be on OPP. I'm a big fan of your show, man. The Score Bank Robber Diaries is out now. Everybody go check it out. You are as compelling as the story, as the podcast itself. But you yourself, your presence, your being, the way you see the world, you, the way you give answers, the, the amount of depth you give, you are just as compelling as the story you're telling in your podcast as thank a human. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate that. As a human, I appreciate that. Yeah. Good, good looking out, man. Oh, so if anyone's more uh, interested in learning more about my story, um, checking out the book, whatever, go to joelawyer.ltd and check out my website. Pop bless. Pop bless. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of OPP and to our special guest, Joe Loya. Be sure to stay tuned to the very end of this episode to hear the official trailer for his hit show, The Score, Bank Robber Diaries, which is available on Apple, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. This interview was mixed by Joshua Coleman. Music for this episode was produced by Richie Quake. And are you down with OPP? If so, please be sure to leave us a five-star rating in the Apple app and let me know your favorite podcast in the review section. Lastly, before we get out of here, check out my other show, Silent Giants, which highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. And you can find Silent Giants on Apple, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Pop bless y'all. Till next time. I'm in a city called La Crescenta, California, which is a suburb of Los Angeles. I'm driving in a black Chevy SUV up Foothill Boulevard towards Ramsdale. I'm with a man named Joe Loya. Just park anyone on the right here. And we're looking up the street at the corner. There's a bank. Um, but anyway, so I walked to the bank after I parked and thought, okay, I'm far away. You want to get on a walker? Yeah, let's go. Let's walk. Let's see what would have happened. What's, like, what's going through your mind as you're making this walk? Because this is a long walk. I'm grateful for the walk. I'm like, I'm grateful for the distance now. When is walking to a bank not just walking to a bank? When you're walking to a bank robbery and you're the robber. My body knew what I was doing. So my stomach would start getting in knots, my teeth would be grinding. And so what I would do is I would pull out these memories of humiliations when I was a boy. Humiliation by my dad. There were numerous ones I pulled out, and I just kind of like rubbed on them like they were like religious medallions to draw power and strength from, right? And once I pulled all those things out, this rage would rise in me, and this rage was like the Great Wall of China. I would just come up and shut everything down. All the noise inside of me would just stop. I had this peace almost. I was like, I have the storm, and I'm like focused, don't need no music, don't have no noise in my head, no fucking fear at all. And when I'm that guy, that guy gets shit done. Like, walk into a bank, walk up to a teller, and without even showing a weapon, walk away with thousands and thousands in cash. I'm going to run roughshod right through any, like, resistance you have. You stand up, I'm cutting you in half. And you'll quickly see acquiescence is the best thing at this point, and they, and they did.
I'm standing here with Joe Loya, aka the Beirut Bandit, who over 14 months robbed so many banks, he lost count. But so much of it was just about your yeah. presence. I mean, and the FBI even said that, something about like, he didn't pull the gun, why'd you give him the money? And they were all like, you know, his eyes, his eyes, he meant it, you could tell. I'd already spent a couple years in prison. I knew how to carry myself and turn on that that aggression, that, that, that sort of violent maleness. I'm Ben Adair. Coming soon, season one of The Score, The Bank Robber Diaries. It's an all-access pass into the mind of one of California's most prolific bank robbers. I'm paralyzed with fear, looking at him, scared to death. I cannot live with my cowardice. When you run past your fear, then it cannot harass you anymore. Next time he says, I'm going to stab him in the neck. I had proven myself wired to be the hunter, not the hunted. God has a powerful plan for me. Turns out robbing a bank takes a lot more than just a plan or a gun. I would just terrify these people and get them so scared that not only would they give me the cash, they would give me their terror. It made me feel strong. All I know is we're fucking helpless. All I know is anarchy. All I know is chaos. I just leaned into that. The Score, Season 1, The Bank Robber Diaries. From ACAST Studios and Western Sound. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.